Passover week. Ever since Jesus had become the main attraction at the Feast of Tabernacles and proclaimed himself as the fountain of living water, many of the Jews believed that he was the one, the Christ, the rock from which flowed the water of life for Israel. And from that time on and right up to the Feast of Passover, the healings and miracles and wisdom words of Jesus became more and more awe-inspiring. And Jesus was gathering a following. He didn't have a choice. Wherever he went, he was followed, which is a good way to start when you think about Jesus. He wants to be followed. And just weeks before Passover, Jesus worked the miracle of miracles, raising a man called Lazarus from the dead. That, I'd call that a real curtain raiser, wouldn't you? <laughs> Before the resurrection, the death and resurrection. So the chief rulers of the Jews had a problem on their hands. What were they going to do with Jesus? They thought that he might even decide to rule over Jerusalem, keep on bringing the scriptures to life, keep on feeding multitudes of people, solving the economic problems, the entire region, perhaps the world. Raising people from the dead. They knew people wanted this. So the rulers were getting desperate. And let's just hear about some of the things they were thinking at that time. I'm reading from John chapter 11. The chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we going to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, It is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation of Israel, including all that had been dispersed abroad. Now, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Would you say, I call that a good prophecy. Poor Caiaphas. He didn't know that he was prophesying the death and the resurrection to come of Jesus. But those words were placed in his mouth. He was the only one that could have said it, and it was heard, and it is on record. Now, some days before Passover began, Jesus came down from the Mount of Olives. He was with his disciples and he came to Bethany to attend a banquet to celebrate that miracle resurrection of Lazarus. And Jerusalem was a hive of activity. Thousands of people were gathering. And we read now from John chapter 12. That's the next chapter. Verse 1. Six days before Passover ceremonies began, Jesus arrived in Bethany where Lazarus was, the man he had brought back to life. Would have been just a short time before. And a banquet was prepared to honour Jesus. Martha served and Lazarus sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a jar of costly perfume made from spikenard and anointed Jesus' feet with it and wiped them with her hair. And I'm moving down to verse 9. Many of the Jews heard that Jesus was in Bethany. It was only a half hour's walk from Jerusalem. So crowds in Jerusalem, thousands gathering for the Passover, and Jesus comes to a feast to celebrate another resurrection, which is a, a, a wonderful 
as I say, a curtain raiser for God being glorified through Jesus. So many of the Jews flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus, the man who had come back to life again. Then the chief priest decided, now here's a decision, to kill Lazarus too. How about that? You're going to have to die twice for this. Well, they didn't kill him, of course. But he did die later on, of old age. When you read of Lazarus being sick and Mary and Martha saying, Jesus, what can you do? And he said, it's okay. Um, This is for the glory of God. It's not unto death. But he died. What Jesus saw was beyond death into life again. And so Lazarus came back to life. And I presume that he didn't have that disease that he died from. He would have been pretty old. This is just my surmisings. He would have died of old age, but he had to die because he could not be the firstborn of the resurrection. That was for Jesus. So the priest decided to kill Lazarus too, for it was because of him that many of the Jewish leaders had deserted and believed in Jesus as their Messiah. After that banquet, Jesus arranged for his disciples to have a donkey ready for him to ride into Jerusalem on the day that we call Palm Sunday, the beginning of Passover week. And crowds of Jews from all over the empire were gathering for the feast. They stood on the roadside in their thousands as he rode into Jerusalem and they welcomed him as their prophet. They welcomed him as the miracle worker and they proclaimed him as the king of the Jews, shouting Hosanna and casting palm leaves on the ground before him. Can you imagine the anticipation? This man is going to rule the world. But Jesus had to tell them, and he had told them many times, my kingdom is not of this world. So later that day, after that entrance into Jerusalem, Jesus went to the temple and into the court of the Gentiles, a large outer area where there were tables set up for money changers. The money changers would exchange money and then they would sell uh, animals and birds to people that were coming in from the outer regions who wanted to offer sacrifices at the feast. So this was a normal thing that they did, but of course this was a big day and the prices got higher and higher because the market was good. Many thousands of people there. And the money changers were charging extortionate prices for their sacrificial birds and animals, especially to those who were from the other areas of the Middle East and Asia. Jesus saw this, he became indignant. He threw over the tables of the money changers and rebuked them for turning his father's house, the house of prayer, into a den of thieves. At this show of power, many in the crowd that stood about watching and listening to him expected a further show of power from Jesus. This could be the moment. I'm now going to proclaim that I'm the king as you've called me. But this wasn't the time for him to start his kingdom. They thought it was, but they'd be disappointed. He wasn't going to start an earthly kingdom. But he was now on this path to establish the heavenly kingdom that would never pass away with a far greater demonstration of such power that the whole cosmos would be shaken by it. When he died on Calvary, the earth shook. When he rose from the dead, the entire universe shook. We read about the wonderful things that happened in the book of Colossians when everything became subject to the word who was Jesus. 
After that encounter, Jesus took the 12 aside and he said he wanted to share the Passover meal with them that evening. That was a Thursday. That's Holy Thursday, it's called in the week of Passover. He told two of them to make preparations in an upper room for the event and for the others to go off and spend some time in prayer while he would go off and pray by himself. He arranged for them to meet him back where they were at the fountain in the square. The Passover meal was not just a meal. It was a series of meals interspersed with pauses for reflection and reading. They would read from the scriptures in remembrance of the event of Moses. They would read from Exodus and the Torah. And they would read about Moses bringing the nation of Israel out of slavery from Egypt. And after one of these meals where they ate roasted lamb and bitter herbs, Jesus stood up and went over to one of the huge bathing bowls and he took off his outer robe and wrapped a large towel around himself and he called the disciples to come over to him. He told them he wanted to wash their feet. And so they began to walk hesitatingly towards him. They were a little reluctant to have him do this. They began to wash their feet. And when he came to Peter to wash his feet, Peter protested and said, No, Master, you will not wash my feet. But Jesus reproved Peter. Jesus had just told them that those that would have authority in his kingdom would not rule over people like the Gentiles did. But those that would have authority in his kingdom would serve. And that would be their greatness. That would be their authority, the serving. And so now he says to Peter, if you think I have authority with you, then you'll let me be your servant and you'll let me serve you by washing your feet. Otherwise, you're saying you don't recognise my authority and you don't want to be part of what I'm doing. Oh, Peter did this sort of thing a lot. The, the openness of Peter was not only in his heart, but mostly in his mouth. It was always open. He was mostly told to close it again. So he stood humbly in front of Jesus and he said, Please, Lord, wash my feet, but not just my feet. Wash my hands and my head and my whole body as well. And Jesus had to explain to Peter that it was just his feet in the bowl. There, nothing else. He told Peter that he was clean inside and out except for his feet, just as were all the others. There'd been a cleansing of Jesus by his word. He said, you're all clean except for one of you. He sat them down and asked for the bread and wine to be served. And then he said, one of you will betray me. They were all overwhelmed and distressed by what he had said. So they began to ask him one by one, is it me, Master? I mean, that's kind of a, a guilty conscience. They all said, is it me, Master? Except for John. John knew the depth of love that he himself had in his heart. And he didn't even question his own heart. He just questioned Jesus by saying, Who is it, Lord? Simple as that. And Jesus said, The one who dips his bread with me into the soup. And at that very moment, Judas had his bread in the soup along with the bread in the hand of Jesus. Now, Jesus let the moment pass. It was a moment of emotion and confusion. Then Judas, feeling safe, said, like the others, Is it me, Lord? Jesus replied to Judas, You said it. And then he handed his bread to Judas and said to him, go and do what you have to do. Judas got up, grabbed the money bag and strode out 
And the other disciples supposed that he'd received instructions from Jesus to feed the poor, or some kind of administrative work with the money. Well, Judas had other ideas about the money, <laughs> 30 pieces of silver. Jesus turned to the other disciples and took a large piece of bread from the bowl. And they watched him as he broke it into 12 pieces, keeping one piece in his hand and handing the rest around to the remaining 11. This is my body, he said over the bread that he had in his hand. This has been broken into pieces, but when we eat it, it becomes one piece again because we are one. And whenever you and those who come after you do this in the times to come, you will join yourselves to one another and to me, and I'll be there with you. This is communion. You will know my presence among you because unless you know you have my life in you, you will not know what life really is. He took a cup of the ceremonial wine and drank from it, and then he passed it around for them all to drink, and after they had finished it, he said to them, this is my blood. I'm paraphrasing now the words that the scriptures use, a collage of scriptures that describes the words that Jesus said through the Gospels about his body and about his blood. Just as my body will be torn to pieces for you, so too will my blood be spilled for you. This is a sign of my life and of the new promise from God to give you and all of humanity. We're giving you our life to share. Not just a life of rules and regulations, but our very divine life. And whenever people do this in the future, I want them to remember that I died for them and that I will come back again at the end of time for them in the full power and glory of my kingdom. The feast had come to an end and he stood and then they all stood and moved close together, drinking in the beauty and wonder of that moment that they just shared with him. And knowing that they'd be coming together to share this moment without him after he'd gone. And yet with him, time and time again, that's communion. That's what we do. He then asked them to come with him to a garden near the olive grove where he said he wanted them to pray with him. And he spoke to them again. In a few hours, the temple leaders will arrest me and I'll be put on trial. After my arrest, you'll all become terrified and desert me. But it will fulfill the scripture which says that when the shepherd is struck, the sheep will run in all directions. Peter had a word to say again. Even if everyone else deserts you, I will never run. That's in Matthew chapter 26, 34. Those empty words of Peter's resulted in his denying the Lord three times. And that's another story which would have made Peter feel after what he would have seen as a dismal failure of faith on his part and trust and loyalty. You can imagine the man thinking that after Jesus died that it could have been his fault for denying him. That's humanity. But he was healed of that by the love of Jesus when he met him after he'd risen and he said, Peter, do you love me? He just said it three times. Everything was happening three times with Peter. And then he commissioned him three times. He said, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. So all of these events have stories that go on and on into eternity and are examples. For us, they mirror our humanity, the weakness and the frailty, that God has mercy on such mercy. 
He says, I'll get you through. You go round and round, but we're going forward at the same time. Jesus then spoke his words of total and loving commitment to them and to all of us. Now we read in John 13, I'm giving you a new commandment, that you'll love each other just as much as I love you. Your strong love for each other will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Now when we can believe in the totally committed love of Jesus for us, and when we can accept our imperfect selves as being loved with so much compassion, we can then allow that love and compassion to flow out from us into the imperfect lives of the people in our personal world. Amen. Let's have communion.